Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the JC Was Podcast. This is uh, episode number 129, dedicated to a man who on September 3rd, 2001, a rookie pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals in just his 11th start, pitched a no-hitter. Mr. Bud Smith. And as always, thank you for sitting and downloading to the episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by Mr. Daryl Flash Gordon, former linebacker at the University of Notre Dame, to talk about his playing career and a whole lot more. Yes, Daryl and I had the opportunity to sit down via Zoom on August the 26th to talk about his football playing career, things that happened before that, and some things he's doing after playing football as well. This is a great time for those of you that have not already subscribed to the podcast YouTube channel. Search the J. Stevens Podcast. You will go right there and find the podcast channel Click subscribe because every time a new episode gets uploaded to the page for the podcast, you will get notified on your phone, computer, or whatever device you are utilizing at that time. Trust me, this is one you want to watch because one thing Daryl was a part of that college football fans like myself love hearing stories about these particular games, the Catholics versus convicts. College football game between Miami and Notre Dame during the 1988 college football season. When he's talking about this game, you can see the smile on his face about how important that game was to him and how important, how special it was that they came out victorious at the end of the game. So if you have not listened to this, go watch it on YouTube, double dip, it's okay, and enjoy as a former athlete, college athlete, talks about how special that game was, not just to him, but his entire team. And with this being Thursday as well, you know football season is here, and you know those of you that were here last football season, this is the time of the week that we get our picks off. Now, there are games Thursday, Saturday, and Monday. Normally when there are Monday games in college football, I wait until the end of Monday's episode to release that pick or my pick for that game. I'm giving all the picks on Thursdays this year. So the Monday night game in in the NFL will be on Thursdays. Any Monday games in college football, that will be given, that pick will be given on Thursday as well. So at the end of this episode, be listening. I have five picks for you. One game on Thursday of this week, tonight. One, three games on Saturday, and then one game on Monday. Only one, BYU and Navy. I will give you all of those picks at the end of my conversation with Daryl. And before I get to that conversation, a word from Plutus Sports Analytics. Plutus Sports Analytics is a company based on minimizing the uncertainty in sports betting to help you maximize your profit. Newfoundland's first sports analytics team provides daily predictions for all major league sports so you can win big. Whether you want to hit MLB picks out of the park or get a slam dunk on your NBA betting tickets, Plutus is a company of choice. Head to PlutusSportsAnalytics.com. That is P-L-U-T-U-S sportsanalytics.com. Use code JSP10 for 10% off their deadly service. Let's go ahead and take a trip to the state of Indiana to enjoy my fun conversation with Mr. Daryl Flash Gordon, former linebacker at the University of Notre Dame. 
Hey, Daryl, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm excited about the, about the podcast today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate you coming on. Before we get into Notre Dame, what you're doing now, um, your football career, life after football, I see right there in your little description of your name in the left, hand, uh, left side of your picture, Daryl Flash Gordon. I am very curious. I know it's your nickname and you go to Google. It's there all over the place. Where, where did that nickname come from? You know, it's interesting that my, my uh, older brother was a professional boxer. And, uh, and he had that name in high school and was a Golden Glove champion. And they used to call him Flash Gordon. And I, I remember because I was maybe, you know, four or five years younger and I used to watch him and go to many of the fights. And I thought, hey, man, that name's pretty cool, right? And, um, and I remember when I got to Notre Dame, uh, I said to myself, you know, I'm gonna make a name of this, this, this flash cord thing, right? Like my brother did. And, um, and I remember I was uh, on the field stretching and coach Faust walked over and he said, Daryl, good to see you. And I uh, said, thanks coach. And then he said, you know, I don't like that. I'm gonna call you flash cord. You know, <laughs> as they saw some of my speed and my quickness, they felt that was more applicable to the name. So, so it kind of, once coach used it, it never left, it never left me. <laughs> I know um, my dad, he talked to me about you guys working out the Y. Yeah. And he's like, he always says my buddy Daryl, then sometimes he calls you Flash. And I didn't know, like I had heard of you before, but I didn't know the connection um, yeah. as far as Notre Dame football and all that stuff. But yeah. then I see how it kind of, st how it stuck. I was reading an article leading up to this and an article said, it's kind of like you're a superhero. I kind of have a superhero nickname. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of, I, I kind of like that. And people kind of put that connection with Flash and superhero and your playing skills and that kind of go together. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. Well, I, I don't know about the superhero, but but I, I, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the nickname. And it's interesting because even at Notre Dame, it, when I would say no, when I'd say Daryl Gordon, no one knew who that was. Right. It's like you tell people, hey, you know, you know, I'm Daryl Gordon. I realize if they're Notre Dame fans, they're like, Daryl, oh, OK. You know, when you say Flash, oh, Flash. Yeah, yeah. And even in the even in the games, the uh, the announcer would say tackle by Flash Gordon. They wouldn't even say Daryl Gordon. So my mom was a little upset that I lost my real name. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. I bet. Um, Flash is, is fun. I, I like, I like kind of those nicknames like that. I know Dwayne Wade in basketball, nicknamed uh, Flash, and yeah. other athletes have different nicknames. So it's kind of nice to have that kind of spin off a little goofy nickname to kind of correlate with you and your playing style yeah. and the speed you play with. Yeah. Um, before Notre Dame, you grew up in, I believe, Hillsdale, New Jersey. I think what I read, you were born in Jersey City. Correct. And then grew right. and then moved to Hillsdale, New Jersey, Hillside, at the Hillside. age of five. Five years, was that Hillside, New Jersey? Hillside. I wrote down the wrong thing. That's right. uh, Hillside, New Jersey, but moved there when you were five. Yes. And the recruiting process, I noticed there were a few schools that looked at you, but when Notre Dame came there to recruit you, they did something different than Joe Paterno and other schools did. Um, what memories do you have of that part, the recruiting process, and getting you to play at Notre Dame? You know, it was interesting because, you know, that was a very interesting time. I think I was about seven, six, 17, perhaps 16, 17. I was just finishing my sophomore year of high school. And I had, an, I had a really good year that sophomore year. And it was, so, it was so good that college coaches used to come to my high school. And um, they were coming. They wanted to meet me going into my junior year and let them know, hey, this is a school for you. So Texas, Alabama, Auburn. And I remember every day after school, I'd sit and debrief with my coach. And I said, hey, coach, who came in today? And he'd be like, oh, Flash, we saw Auburn, uh, you know, uh, at Florida State and Notre Dame. I said, well, I met Auburn. I met Florida State coaches, but I didn't meet Notre Dame. And he said, well, 
they were here, they went to the guidance department, to the guidance department. I said, yeah, yeah, the guidance department. That's, they wanted to find out about your grades. I said, well, did somebody tell them that they couldn't see my grades? Because I wasn't performing at, at, okay. at that type of level, right? It wasn't okay. that important to me. And, and uh, they said, no, I don't know. They just went in, they spoke with the guidance counselor, they talked about your character, and then they left. I said, they left? He said, yeah, they left. They, they felt as if you weren't the type of kid that they were interested in recruiting. And at that point in time, I think it hit me that I really wanted to be more than just an athlete. And I really wanted to want someone that didn't want me, I wanted them. You know, and that's, that's sort of how life is, right? We go after those things that we can't get. And I remember, uh, Jay, I worked so hard academically. I went to my teachers, I said, listen, um, I'm interested in changing the way I perform in the classroom. I want you to hold me accountable. If you can't hold me accountable, that's, that's fine, but I don't want to get grades that are gimmies. And I went home to my family. I said, this is going to be a safe haven place for me, right? This is where I'm going to study. This is a place where I'm going to spend my time to really develop my mind because I really want to go to Notre Dame. And then, you know, I had a group of friends that were, that were probably not as committed to the movement that I was committed to. And they were more, you know, sort of gang related kind of kids. And, and I said, listen, I, I, I can't spend that time anymore. Right, I'm, I'm trying to get into Notre Dame, so I'm gonna really use that time. And I really need their permission, right? To be able to, to branch out and do what I was doing. And they said, well, you know, we're gonna let you go ahead and do that. So at that point in time, I, I committed myself and I worked so hard that I, I rose from my sophomore year to my senior year to the top 10% uh, of my class academically. And, and then athletically uh, was uh, Adidas All-American. So one of the best linebackers in the nation. And then Notre Dame came back, right? At my senior year and they said, listen, we." we know that you've got all these offers and this is the last day of school. And, and I remember walking in the hallway and then coach Faust comes out in the hall and says, Hey, Flash, uh, we've been following you and we've seen how you perform academically. We see how you perform athletically. And, um, and we want to offer you a scholarship to the university of Notre Dame. And that really was a transformation of my life, right? Of how I began to, to see life differently, which is, which is why I wrote the book on change. Right. Cause I think it's, there's a, there's some unbelievable um, passages in there that helps, to help you in your process of change. So, so that was kind of the, that was kind of the story. That's how I got there. And, and um, so sometimes you get what you, what, when people don't want you, right? You, you work harder to get it, right? And, and there it is. Exactly. I think, I, and I, th I don't know if it was you said this or someone else, but it said the Notre Dame's process as far as who they were recruiting, they didn't just want an athlete. They wanted a student athlete. And I noticed that change in like how you changed your whole mindset. Was it difficult? Because I know sometimes it's difficult for people to break off from people that they have been come close to. And if it's teenagers, adults, relationships after 20, 30, 40 years old, was that breaking a part of that relationship with those friends, with those guys? Was that hard for you to do? Oh, you know what? It was unequivocally difficult, Jay. But what was, what was, but what was easier when you have vision, right? When you have vision of what you really want. And remember, now I was—I grew up in an urban environment where I didn't know much about Notre Dame. None of my family went to college, so so there wasn't a vision for me to say this is where I want to go as a child, right? It was just these schools just happened to come and present their school to me and their image to me, but I wasn't on campus. I didn't go see anything. So so it, until I heard the story, and then when you talk to people in the community and you say, well, you know, Notre Dame's recruiting, like Notre Dame, like, Notre Dame's recruiting you, right? They were like, well, you you can't if you get that opportunity. Right, and, and everybody spoke so highly of the opportunity, right, in New Jersey, and I realized, hmm, maybe this is something here. Like maybe, why would I go somewhere where if I can go somewhere and take the best of both worlds academically and athletically, why not take advantage of that? 
And, and that's why I think I fought so hard to get to Notre Dame because I knew, you know, Penn State, no offense to their academic programs, they have really strong academic programs, but, but what they were willing to offer at Notre Dame and they were very selective of the people they, they, they bring on board. I felt I wanted to be one of those unique people, right? That, that got there and, and, and performed well. And, and that meant I had to push away all the other uh, obstacles such as my best friends and such as, you know, and like I tell my son, I said, hey guy, if you, you want to be the quarterback at Notre Dame, you know, Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> you know, you got to give that stuff a break because that's not going to get you there, right? And you could, you could lose three hours easy just on that. And that could be three hours in the academia world of throwing ball for an hour, you know? So, so you got to just figure out what it is you want to accomplish. And once you find that out, Jay, um, which is why I kind of take him to games. So I want him to see the environment. I take him to the dorms. I take him to different schools. My, jo- my daughter just left today to go to Harvard, right? And people are like, well, how did she get to, how did you get her to Harvard? You know, it's, because we took her there, right? right and we let right. her see, right? And sometimes it's, a, it's all about, to, to have a change process, you first have to be bought in that you want to change. And once you buy in that you want to change, the process is a lot easier. Absolutely, absolutely. Notre Dame, everyone, myself, I think about your, your playing years at Notre Dame, um, how great that time period was. The first person I think of is Lou Holtz, the man that ran the program. What kind of man, what kind of coach is Lou Holtz? You know, that... <laughs> He is one of the best motivators I've been around in my life. And people say, well, why do you say that, Daryl? Well, you know, he's unique. And that is he understands that everybody's motivated differently, right? And although we had 120 players, each player had to be motivated differently. I I run my company the same way. Each person has to be motivated differently. So, you know, he, he wasn't a major yeller, but he would yell if he had to. So when you had a Ricky Waters, he would yell at Ricky Waters because that's how his mom treated him, right? At home, you know, Ricky, get the room clean but when he talked to Tim Brown, a Heisman Trophy winner, if he would yell at Tim Brown, Tim would, would find himself in a fetus position and he would be done. He wouldn't have the ability to perform anymore. So he realized, I can't approach uh, Tim Brown that way to get the most out of him, right? So, so I think he, he did a great job of, of keeping each one of us motivated in a way that we need to be motivated, which takes more time to lead. That's a, that's a different leadership style because it's more time consuming as opposed to just yelling to the entire group, right? I think also, too, he made every game look like we were playing for the national championship. No offense to Navy, no offense to Army, um, but, but some of those teams that we would defeat decisively, he would make, it, he would make that whole week seem like it's going to be an impossible game to win. And, and that's what great coaches do, right? They, they prepare you for the, for the great games, but they also prepare you for the games that, that could be catastrophes because you just overlook them, right? And, and, and that's how, you know, I think that's how we got through that that, that season of being undefeated, right? Because every game he made, it seemed important and, 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 and that we possibly couldn't win it. Um, and I think he made the appropriate changes. And I, I talk about that in my book, all the changes from dietary expectations to the workout ethics to one of the biggest things I think I noticed from, from him, when Faust was there, when we got injured the, the day of the game, we wouldn't practice. The starters wouldn't practice, which meant the second strings and third string would, would practice up until Thursday. Thursday, we go back into just helmets and the shoulder pads maybe. And, and Thursday and Friday would be just skeleton, really light, no more hitting. But Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday was very rigorous. And, but that's how you learned how to prepare for the team. So when Faust would say, hey, you guys want to feel we're not going to, I'm not going to practice you today. I'm not going to practice you. So eight, nine players that were starters wouldn't play until, wouldn't practice until Thursday, Friday. When Holtz got there, you know, and we didn't win. Like I said, we, we just didn't win because we weren't properly prepared. And I would be disturbed because I was a freshman or junior, and I'd go through all the reps, but I wouldn't play. 
right? It didn't make a lot of sense, right? right. It demoralized me, right? And when Holtz got there, okay, this is, I mean, how astute he was. He said, listen, I'm gonna, first thing I'm gonna tell you all is, if you miss practice, because he must have already heard, if you miss practice, you don't start. If you miss it twice, you don't play. All of a sudden, we never had anyone miss yeah. practice. Yeah. And if they were really injured, they had their entire uniform on, on in crutches for that week, <laughs> just to show that, hey, I'm, I'm still out here, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that was a different mentality. So I, I love that. I know you had to probably take a different mentality um, to the game that has been coined and ESPN did a 30 for 30 on it, Catholics versus convicts. And with Lou Holtz preparation, as you spoke so well about how he made every game so important. I know going into that game, one, you have Miami coming up to you. They're coming off of winning a national championship game. I believe they had won 36 games in a row. These are probably all things you as, as a young kid, these are all things in your head. I get you excited going into that game. Um, what ha I read about something that happened before the game, talk about a fight on the field. Um, what, what memories do you have from that game? I see the smile on your face right now. Um, and I know Jimmy Johnson went for two at the end of the game, but what do you remember from that game? What sticks out about why that game was so special? You know, first of all, we owed them something, right? Because the year before, I just remember Mike Lerving and those guys, you know, we were down, we were there in Miami and we were, we were losing 54 to maybe 12. We houses. Uh, uh, last year, and I, we just remember them. It was three minutes left, and they would run a reverse. They would run and throw in passes, really just being disrespectful, right, to our institution and the way in which they played. And at that point in time, we realized we're never going to let that happen again, right? And we really rebuilt it ourselves so that we could compete at that level. And and when they came to us, they still disrespected us. They still didn't have a lot of respect for us. And and I, I, I recall, because that was a big game. They were number one. I think we were number three or something like that. And, and you know how when you warm up, you know, you have a line that kind of prevents the opponents from the other end from seeing you kind of warm up and run plays. Well, it's 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 voodoo to walk through a team's line. You go around a lot, but you don't yes, walk sir. through them. And they walk through our line, just totally disrespect as our guys were, were running through offensive plays so that, that we couldn't see them. And they just, and then at that point, I think we had enough. And, and right there in the tunnel, you know, we started pushing them, they started pushing us and it was an all out brawl. I mean, literally an all out brawl, Jay. Uh, at the end, finally, the refs got it all in control. They sent us to our locker room right before the game, and they sent Miami to their locker room. I'm sitting in the locker room, and I mean, there are guys bleeding, throwing up. It was like, it was, it was devastating to see. Like, that fight was serious, and I didn't know it was that serious. I mean, although I was involved in it, but, but, but I was anxious. And I know, as we always thought, you know, Notre Dame was highly respected throughout the nation, and we were always considered, you know, that Catholic institution that does everything right. And we felt like we tarnished the image of Notre Dame. And, and I, so as we sat in the locker room, none of the coaches were there, just the players. And we were like, oh, we're going to get it now. This is national TV. Everybody saw us fighting. You know, we were, we really tarnished the image the other day. And all of a sudden, right before the tick kickoff, Lou walks in and he's pissed, right? And we're thinking, oh, okay, he's going to give it to us, right? And guys bleed and carry on. And I, you, you've heard it already when you watch the show. But, you know, when he comes in and you expect to get ridiculed and he comes in and says, Jimmy Johnson, who is is uh, Miami's head coach. He said, God damn it, if this happens one more time, you save Jimmy Johnson for me. And that exploded. The, imagine a player finally getting confirmation from his dad to say, kick his butt. You get to kick his butt, right? And, and that's how we felt like we didn't tarnish any images. We were now a different type of team. 
that going to demand respect from others. And, and that, I think that changed the way we played from that point forward. And, and when he thought he would get involved, he would do the same thing. And he realized he had momentum, like he's a smart guy. He had momentum. He took advantage of the momentum that he had. And, and uh, at that point in time, you didn't have to say anything, Jay. We just went on the field and, and we, we took care of business. And it was the most, uh, I still get chills just talking about that because it was a moment, right, where you get confirmation that what you did was right. And, and that, that was huge. Good. I, I, I just enjoy being on this end of it, w- watching you and hearing you talk about that moment, that game, yeah. and just seeing – you said the chills. I can see the sure emotion, the memories that you, that you still have so vividly yeah. from that day, from that game. And I was looking at this as well. Um, you had another big game that same season before the national championship game, the Fiesta Bowl. You had to go to L.A. to play USC, Ooh. who was a rival of, of Notre Dame as well. Um, what do you remember from that game? Because I know Catholics versus Convicts, that's spoken about more than the USC game, but you had to win that USC game to get to the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, that, that, you know, you know and, and you talk about unique, unique games. We were ranked number one. USC is ranked number two in the country. Now, you don't get a better last game of the season for, you know, all teams. And we just happened to be number one, and USC happened to be number two. And it's like, when does that ever happen, right? And that was really the national championship game. So people knew – Okay, whoever win this last game of the season, they will play number three West Virginia for the championship. So, you know, it, we were at we were at uh, California and we were in the Coliseum. The the we just finished the um, Olympics, which was in the Coliseum. So so that place was was historic. And I remember thousands of people gonna be watching this game because people felt this was the championship, although it was a regular season game. And and I remember you know we were the, we were we were eleven and zero at the time and. And, um, and, and USC was playing at home. They had their fans. They had crowds. Tickets were going for $1,000 a seat. That was up in the high rise. And back in the day, that was a thousand. You said $1,000 a seat? $1,000 a seat. It, <laughs> it was an unbelievable movement. This was one of the highly profile games you would ever want to watch. NBC was loving it because they were going to have millions of viewers, right? More than they've ever had. And I remember that night, Friday night, we were having dinner. And Coach always had a rule. You always was on time for meetings. And two of our best players, Ricky Waters and Tony, Ricky Waters and um, Tony Brooks, unfortunately, came late to lunch. They were younger, though. They were sophomores at the time. And, um, and, you know, sophomores like, hey, I'm the man. I'm I'm this, you know, Ricky was the starter. Brooks was the second string. And um, they thought they could come in and go. And we had a, you know, we had a different environment where we wanted to hold people accountable. and, and at that point, coach says, listen, when they finally got there an hour later, they walked into to dinner and we all looking like, where y'all been? Coach said, listen, I don't care. I don't want them to play. But being that this is your seniors last year, this can affect your championship. I'm going to let y'all make the call. So we all gathered in one of the hotel rooms that night, all the seniors, and we thought it through. And at the end, we decided, no, they're not going to play. And I remember, you know, we went to coaches. Coach, we're recommending they don't play. We know that gives us one running back. Because we only brought three. You only bring 68 players to a, to a away game. And said, and we, so he, he said, well, if you're going to do that, Flash, then y'all go ahead and tell the players. So the seniors, I went and I had to present to the team, listen, we've decided not to let them play. Oh, you would have thought we shot the Pope. <laughs> They're like, are you crazy? What do you mean? Like, they didn't understand the value of character, right? right, and, right. and holding accountable a philosophy of, of you know commitment and trust and love and those things that we live by. At the end of the day, it was interesting. Um, at the end of the day, um, when they actually was put on the plane and flown home, they never thought they would go home. And they're like, oh, they're just gonna put on the plane. They're gonna take us back off because they need us 
and they actually watched the game from Notre Dame in their dorm room. And I remember we all came together and we told that running back how great he was going to play that night before, all 68 of us. And then uh, we told him in the morning how great he was going to be and how he's never going to get tired and how he, you know, it was a hot, it was going to be a hot day. We didn't have a backup for him and he was going to have the game of his life. But, but he heard that from so many people. And then the lineman says, listen, don't worry about a, a, a hole because we're going to open the largest hole you've ever seen. And the defense says, listen, they can't win if they don't score. And we all had a commitment to this, to this movement. And what it did was it brought us closer. And as a result of that, we, we dominated that game. I think we won, you know, 28 to seven or something like that, but, but it was quite decisive. And we put the quarterback out, Major Harris out for the game um, as a result of the defense just playing unbelievable football. And, 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 and interesting enough, that experience really helped evolve the team for those players that we had struggled with over the, over the weeks about, hey, I'm an All-American. I mean, everybody's an All-American there, but some of them, their, their personalities were challenged. And this kind of told everybody, one player doesn't make a team, right? I don't care how great you are. And that player at the end of the day became, got the MVP of the game and went to the Chicago Bears. Um, so it kind of tells you about, you know, the, the process that sometimes it takes um, to get change in the place, right? Um, so so that's, that's, that has been a very historical memory for us. And, 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 and probably in closing in that piece, five things that we kind of live by that we, we respected ourselves and others. We had integrity in everything we did. We, we cared for everyone. We had harmony. One thing we did, we did everything with excellence. And then we were going to be responsible. We were supposed to be at, at, at the office at 2 o'clock. We got that at 155, right? Those were principles that we had to live by in order for us to win a championship. And those guys couldn't get catch on to it until we had to dismiss them. And Absolutely. Then the, the Absolutely. As we wrap this thing up, I know after football, you and I've seen your CEO of your company um, and you do a lot of motivational speaking. You have spoke a lot about the book and this work change. What would you say may have been a, a part of your message? I know you've spoken a lot about change already, but what would you say has been a part of the message that you try to uh, get all, get across from yourself to others when you're traveling around speaking um, and just talking about your book and how your life and how you want to help other people embark upon change in their own lives? You know, that's a great, great question, Jay. You know, it, um, there are so many pieces in the presentation that I normally give on change and, and how to go about it. But I think there are principles um, that I live by. And, and you know, in my book, it's endorsed by Joe Montana and and Jerome Bettis and um, Regis Philman, you know, wrote the forward. He just passed away. And Lou Holtz as well on the, on the cover of the book kind of shared his thoughts. But those, four, those five principles of change, which is the flashpoints is what I call them. And, and those flashpoints really changed my life. And I think they've changed others uh, that have used them uh, from F being facing up to the change. You know, you first have, when you want to change, you first have to recognize that, okay, I'm ready to, right? If you're not ready to do it, it doesn't really matter. The, the L is you're learning your capacity. So if I want to change, I may say I want to be a, I want to run a 4.2 40 yard dash, but I know I only run a four five and I probably can't get to a four two, right? Is that realistic? The China change that I'm trying to make. It, once you determine, okay, it is realistic and I do want to do it. I think then you move forward. I think the A is the action plan. You put an action plan together, right? And this is how you go about establishing that change process, you know, like I did in high school or like we did it and uh, against the USC game, we put a change process in place, an action plan. And then the S is the support. Now, if, if I'm going to make that process or change, um, I'm going to make sure that I tell people. So if you remember in high school, I told my parents, I told my teachers, I told my gang members, listen, man, I, I'm trying to go to Notre Dame. 
And, and they all then began to support me in that movement. If I didn't say anything to anyone, who, who to know or who to say I would have ever achieved the success I achieved, right? right because right. it's like the person trying to lose weight and they're saying, I want to lose 20 pounds, but they never tell anybody, right? So they don't come to the gym one day and all of a sudden it's like, well, nobody knows you're losing 20 anyway because you never told us. If you tell us, I'd hold you accountable to it. And then I think finally the H is to hold on to it. We finally accomplished something. And it's interesting how when we accomplish something, we don't hold on to it. It's a one-year wonder. We win a championship and the next year we're the, we're the losingest team in the, in the league. And why is that? because we're not holding accountable to those same values that we did to win. So, so th that, that process that I call the flashpoints, um, if, if people are ready to transition their lives to be great and move to a place that they think they really want to be in, um, get the book, buy the book. And those principles are there and, and, it's, and it's exhibited in, in many ways to help you move in that process of change. Absolutely. Daryl, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for ending the, this conversation the way you did, talking about those flashpoints and how people can make change in their own lives. I really appreciate this, man. This has been fun. Uh, thank you so much for coming on here on the Jay Stevens Podcast. Well, Jay, you got an unbelievable podcast here going. And, and as you continue to blow this thing up, I just want you to remember me and you bring me on again. But pr pretty soon you're going to be so large, I'm not going to be able to probably even get on. So, so I'm glad I got my <laughs> opportunity. So continue yes, the sir. great work you're doing. And you did an unbelievable job in the interview. So thank you again. That conversation was so much fun that it didn't stop there. What ended up happening was as soon as I hit stop, I mentioned to Daryl that I didn't have enough time to talk about his son, who is the starting quarterback for his son's varsity football team. So what ended up happening, Daryl started talking. He said, oh, I always have time for my son. Well, I went ahead and hit record because I said, oh, this is going to be good. So we got an extra minute of Daryl talking about his son and how well he played during his first varsity football game. Might I add you, he's a freshman quarterback. First game in high school. He's starting on Friday night. And I won't tell you how his son's game went. I'll let Daryl tell you after we get our picks off. Picks for the week. I got five for you. Tonight on Thursday, I have UAB over Central Arkansas. On Saturday, Army over Middle Tennessee. SMU over Texas State. Memphis over Arkansas State. And then on Monday night, I have BYU over Navy. Yes, those are the picks for the week coming up right now. Literally right now. Don't go anywhere. I got Daryl talking about his son and how well he played in his first varsity game. At uh, Park Tudor, and he started his first game last week. And uh, you know, as a starter, as a quarterback, yeah, he threw for 310 yards, four touchdowns. He ran for 60 yards, and he ran for a touchdown. Um, and it's, you know, his debut game, and he really wants to be a Notre Dame quarterback, right? So I said, listen, you want to be a Notre Dame quarterback? you got to put the work in because every other quarterback out there is putting the work in. And, you know, that's so – I'm saying this to all players. This is not just for my son, DJ, but for all players is that if you're willing to be great, you've got to put the – you've got to change, and that means you've got to put an action plan into place, and you've got to execute it. And um, so we're happy for him. I'm just hoping with the COVID that we can continue to compete um you know and and go through the season hopefully with with success i sure hope so i sure hope so i'm gonna have to get out to one of his games sometime i don't live too far from park tutor oh. so going driving i think i live like 20 minutes away so driving 20 minutes to go watch him play maybe i'll run across you we'll talk a little bit and yeah. enjoy your son playing football well I, I hope to see you there you just make sure you let me know okay yes sir i will do that thank you 
for listening to another episode of the Jay Stevens Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. If you're not on Twitter and you would love to connect with the podcast, send your emails to jstevenspod at gmo.com. Remember to always subscribe, rate, and review. It's a great way for people that are searching for a new podcasts to listen to to come across this one. Then remember to always get the word out about the podcast via word of mouth. The things that we enjoy in life, we are more willing and somewhat wired to tell other people about. So no matter if this was your first episode or if you have been listening since episode number one, be sure to people know about the podcast. This has been episode one, two, nine of the JC with podcast. I'll see you next time. <laughs>